This episode is brought to you by Modibody. Modibody is reusable, leak-proof apparel for incontinence, menstruation, and discharge protection. Not only are they eco-friendly, so we don't end up with tampons, liners, and pads in our landfill, they are super absorbent and odor-free. Simply wear, wash, and repeat. Modibody ranges from girls' sizes up to ladies size 26 Australian and offer all new customers a 30-day risk-free trial. Modibody is Australian designed and owned and you can find them at modibody.com. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Laurie Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health as well as a new student researcher on the fun long road to a PhD where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I am here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Welcome back everybody. If you are listening for the first time, Thanks for joining us. I'm Lori. Um, I'd like to say a quick shout out to our patrons who have recently pledged $2 a month for the podcast. We have Marty Crosdale, Aaron Glace. I hope I said your last name right. I'm sorry if I didn't. Uh, Tennille Lloyd and Sarah Howitt. Thanks again for everyone. Thank you for listening. Again, even if you don't pledge to support the podcast, sharing it through social media or just listening, enjoying um, actually means a lot to me. So let's get straight into today. I have Kathy Wallace, who is a physiotherapist. She is internationally recognized clinician, author, and lecturer in women's health in the evaluation and treatment of pelvic floor dysfunction. Kathy's been a physical therapist since 1976 and focused on the pelvic floor since 1988. She's a lifetime member of the American Physical Therapy um, sorry, American Physical Therapy Association. Like, I know I, when you see APTA, I know what it stands for, but then trying to get it out of my brain sometimes doesn't work. I could re-record this, but hey, I'm human, and I'm not going to. Um, okay, so she has helped on the APTA section on women's health, establish the Pelvic Floor Continuing Education Seminars. In 2006, she co-founded the professional and continuing education company, Herman and Wallace Incorporated, developing a series of pelvic floor training seminars for physical therapists. She's no longer affiliated with the company and now independently continues to develop pelvic floor related seminars and resources for healthcare providers and their patients. She is currently focusing on private patient consulting, mentoring and developing professional training for physical therapists at the Pelvic Health Clinic in Seattle, Washington. Check out the show notes for her full bio as well as a lot of the links that we talk about in this podcast. And today we are talking about her book, which is not new, it's actually about five years old, um, but it's called Reviving Your Sex Life After Childbirth. Now, we've spoken on this podcast previously about the importance of sexual intimacy in relationships, often surrounding pelvic pain, but today we're focusing on why this topic is important after a vaginal birth um, from a physical as well as psychological perspective. And you'll see within this conversation, you really can't take that psychological 
medical side out of sexual intimacy. Um, we talk about what women can assess themselves, the importance of bringing partners into this process, and where and how physiotherapists can help. Now, her book is aimed at the general public, but I think health professionals um, would benefit from reading it as well because you do get some insight into what kind of exercises that you can give women. I think uh, books like these can be really helpful for those who can't get to physiotherapy, who are in rural areas, who can't afford physiotherapy. Uh, we know the importance of seeing a physio who's working in this area, uh, but any kind of education and self-help I think that we can direct women to uh, is extremely beneficial. So I hope everybody gets some benefit from this podcast today. Yeah. I thought it would be a really good um, time. We have not touched on returning to intercourse after having a baby, specifically vaginal birth. So, and I know that you have um, recently written a book, although I was looking at the date and it seems to be maybe five years old. Yeah, it is five years old. Wow. <laughs> it's been okay. around that long. So, in fact, I'm just looking at. Um, I was just talking to some friends about it because the ideas were clinical and a lot of them are now much more researched and proven, which yeah. is one of our you know, founding thoughts is what we see in the clinic. We encourage people to research and then it finally becomes proven or you know, supported in some way. It, it's it's amazing to think about it that way. So the question is, I would update it for the research people yeah. that read it. It's written for the postpartum woman. It yeah. wasn't written for a researcher. Yeah, or the no. health professionals. Although there's really good information in it for the health professional as well, because it's called Reviving Your Sex Life After Childbirth. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. And. The reason why I called it that, it was really interesting because as I wrote it, I realized it was like, this is how you kind of take care of your pelvic floor after delivery, and these are the things you need to do. But what I found so often was that people were were coming to physio for incontinence, or say, but they, they would say, but I also have you know pain with intercourse, and that's really my most meaningful task. That's the thing that I really want to take care of. And they they were driven to get care. And it was just an additional, like, by the way yeah. <laughs> kind of statement. And so I thought it was really the driver for many women to come to physical therapy. So I, I used that in the title to, like, spark the, like, well, wait can I do something about that? And what else could I do something about postpartum? Well, I don't know if women understand that it is something they need to think about because once they have a vaginal birth and they see their obstetrician generally at six weeks, that's when they're usually given the, yep, you're good, you're clear, go have sex. And yeah. that, that is it. Like some doctors here will say, you know, just make sure you use a whole bottle of lube. So there's oh. some extra information, but that's that's about it. And then they're blind. Well, the, you know, the OB that when I was writing the book, I was consulting. She goes, "Well, first birth control." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's right. They do say that. <laughs> 
lube is important, <laughs> but also there's so many things in regards to like what their sexual history was, how they're doing before they delivered, you know, what are they anticipating it's going to be like afterwards. There is um, so much involved in thinking about for that mom, um, why is it six weeks? Yeah. And so I, in my book, I said, you know, the guidelines say that. And there's just a, a 2019 article that, like, repeated the fact that the evidence for why we do it does not exist. And so they said, perhaps it's healing of the cervix, the vagina, the tissues, you know, that the basic musculoskeletal six-week rule, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> And or perhaps it's because that's when they come back to see the doctor. Mm. But then in the United States, 40% of women don't come back to the physician for their six-week postpartum visit. Really? Yes, that was in this article I just read. I, wow, that's a big chunk of people. It is. And okay. the question is, why? I mean, I've had patients that had obstetric anal sphincter injury that didn't go back because they were too embarrassed. I know. So there's got to be these resources out there. And that was uh, the driver. It's like, well, what can I do? How can I help myself? And, And where do I go to get help? When you were saying with that article about when should women be um, returning to intercourse after they have a vaginal birth, when? So, what's the consensus? What should it be? <laughs> so, they, they really didn't have a consensus. What they were talking about was where that woman was in the healing process and how complicated their vaginal birth might have been. Mm. So, a vaginal birth is not a vaginal birth, as you know. Yep. You know. My son came out waving with his hand. Um, <laughs> isn't that special? But, you know, I didn't have any an episiotomy or significant stitches. So you can hear the same story and hear very different things. And as you know, a vaginal birth without a tear and an intact perineum is going to be very different. I think when um, swelling is down and there's no pain and if the mama's feeling sexy I they don't seem to think that there's any limitations to that so there's not there's not a time that's too early for at risk for infection if they haven't really had any issues or problems they didn't say that in the article which surprised me they were just talking about healing okay and they did say 40 days, which I think is just shy of six weeks. Okay. Yeah. When I was writing the book, I consulted my, my own childbirth educator, Penny Simpkin. I said, so what's the deal? What do you think? She said, oh, there's tons of moms that want to and do do before, you know, it's sort of like, I'm going to check it all out before I go. So I can tell the doctor or my provider what's going on. That could be different. And then the other thing is, is it sexuality? Do we need to just have some sensual touching? Do we need to do mutual masturbation? Do we need to do massage? How, how do we, you know, how are we defining sex? I just want to be careful that we're, we're, we're not just saying sex is just intercourse. Which I like that you brought that up because I, in my mind, was thinking about it from a penetration point of view whether or not that is a penis or if 
using any sex toys or fingers or anything. But if we if we think about yes, some type of vaginal penetration um, once they've had a vaginal birth, it was yeah generally that rule have thought has been about six weeks but if people have had um like you said extent other kind of extensive trauma stitches episiotomy forceps um or even just a lot of pain trauma and the fact that it didn't go the way they liked it yep. or the other you know birth trauma isn't always the physical part there can be yeah. words said and experiences or timing or emergencies there's so many things that can then just relate back to the idea of being sexual again having intercourse again or perhaps having to go through childbirth again Mm. right yeah and nobody talks to them about that afterwards well i think what we need to do is talk a little bit more before um so I'm, i'm working on some community presentations about um you know, the the fourth trimester and what it's about. And my business associate has a, um, a doctorate in sex education as well as a physical therapy degree. So we're, we're tag teaming on this and we're, we're leaving sex till the last because we're afraid it might take up the whole time. Yes, <laughs> I think it would. <laughs> but it should. I don't think enough people talk about this. And you said, I think, I can't remember if we'd started recording, um, but as a, you know, not necessarily daily, but, you know, it is part of our, um, you know, repertoire of activities that we should be considering um, getting back to much earlier, or at least considering thinking about it. And I just, um, yeah, there's definitely not enough information out there. There, there isn't. Um, but, and then the other question is, is there's, you know, a lot of mamas that really don't want to, they don't feel like they have their body, their body's not their own. There's, there's this like massive fatigue. There could have been some postpartum complications. There's so many things going on, um, that, we're unable to predict, but I, I think you had a podcast earlier talking about, um, you know, that we don't tell women enough about postpartum, and mm. and again, the whole idea of, of writing the book is something that somebody could read before and say, oh, I could do a peri wash, or if I have a bidet, I could use that. You know, there are things that are common, or do I really understand my anatomy? You yeah. know. What and and I had so many people um, like it hurts. I, I said, well, where and they I don't know. And so the idea of even like taking it past the point of I have discomfort, but deciding and analyzing where it is and how it's aggravated. You know these things that we do in physio, how it's eased. A lot of women can just start to think about it that way, but you know pain shuts us down and and makes it hard. So. The idea of really getting more information about our bodies and, and what they do postpartum, I think, is really important. And um, along the lines of that timeline, I guess allowing, like you said, women to understand that six weeks, even though you know you may get the go-ahead and whether or not your physical tissues are ready, if you don't feel in the mood or ready, um, that's okay. <laughs> ah, exactly. Yeah. 
And, and the data is really interesting, too, because um, they're also saying women may feel more sensual than sexual. They may feel a little bit more, like I said before, their bodies aren't their own. Um, but it's also timing. And, you know, if you have a toddler at home already, when are you going to fit this in? I always believe that there's a, enough time, money, and energy to do what's most important. Yes. So, but, but the whole idea of what sexuality means to that couple it really needs to be addressed with communication and expectations and, you know, like saying it's fatigue, it's sleep, it's a little bit of pain, it's I'm not ready to have another baby. It's so many things that I've heard over the years. And know? really good conversations to have before the baby comes out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They are. Now, um, do they happen in childbirth classes? I don't think so. Not in mine. There are still so few obstetricians telling women to move the skin or do preparatory activities before they even initiate penetration. And that was the other thing that I found, you know, that by the fifth person that said, why did anyone tell me this? That was when I had, you know, I have to write this book because you can move your skin, you can do a little bit. I mean, I had an arthroscopic surgery, little tiny, <laughs> little scarf, and the home instructions said to move them. <laughs> and how come they're not in the obstetrician's home guidelines? I, I'm yeah, I'm curious why they're not in their guidelines, but part of me goes, well, musculoskeletal rehab is not generally their specialty. Um, but when there is that kind of disconnection between a patient, either not coming to physio at all, not being able to see a physio afterwards, or just not even going back to their doctor, um, yeah, we, we're um, missing a really big section. So you advise women to do different types of kind of skin tissue movement or mobilization or scar tissue massage? Is there a specific time if they've had any tearing once they've had a baby when you get them to start doing that? The general rules are, are, you know, low level around the scar can be around three weeks and more direct things around six weeks. Um, there's a, I did a literature review with a student and the information is just not out there on on specifics of, of timing and start of scar mobilization. I think that, um, that it's helpful to move the scar in directions that don't hurt first and then move them away, away from pain and then towards it, you know, so that people get the idea that that whole area moves again. And um, that's, I think, the other benefit of pelvic floor exercises. It starts to activate the perineum as well. Yeah. So, so you're getting that, some movement in there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it would possibly be a good idea for people to at least touch and move that area before they try to have some type of penetration. It's with. like a, hello, how are you? An introduction. Yes. And then if they knew that it was uncomfortable or painful, um, then, you know, 
at least, um, you know, either we can guide them or they understand, or I hope that they will learn to understand that, you know, if a finger, if, if having a feel with your finger on the outside and sometimes on the inside is uncomfortable, something that's larger than a finger may be more uncomfortable. <laughs> so you have to gradually work your way towards that. <laughs> right. And, and there's a, a few that I've used vaginal dilators with hmm. for their confidence level yeah. and for their um, just I need to feel that I can have this penetration and be in charge before they resume their partner activity. So, um, but it, the thing with the dilators and the reason why I did a little bit of um, the pelvic floor play or, you know, some exercises to think about while you're using dilator is it's like, it's very non sexual Hmm. unless you advise people to masturbate, to breathe, to use their energy differently, to, to really, um, take into account the whole trying to make it a little bit more like what really happens in the bedroom. Hmm. Right. Because um, some people felt just fine placing the dilator in, but they really didn't have the arousal or they they didn't really address their fears that were associated with it. Or they did they came up more when there was penetration. So there's like two things that I saw very often. It's like the fears of what else it could be. Yeah. Trauma, another birth that doesn't go well. Or um, just a little bit more information was out there. It was helpful for them to get that. Okay, so for those of you who don't know me very well, I am an environmental lover. I am Canadian at heart, even though I am now an Australian. And if I can find reusable products, I get really excited. It wasn't until I was older that I realized the amount of products that women use for their periods end up in landfill, pads, liners, tampons. Um, You know, it may not be as good for our body as we once thought, but it's definitely not good for the environment, which is why I got really excited when I found out about the sponsor of our show today. Maudie Body is reusable leak-proof apparel for incontinence, menstruation, and discharge protection. Not only are they eco-friendly, so we don't end up with tampons, liners, and pads in our landfill, they are super absorbent and odor-free. Simply wear, wash, and repeat. Maudie Body ranges from girls' sizes up to ladies' size 26 Australian and offer all new customers a 30-day risk-free trial. Maudie Body is Australian designed and owned and you can find them at maudiebody.com. Do you think that women, um, so think like first time women after they have a vaginal birth, um, they get the clear to have intercourse and if it wasn't too um, much of, you know, if there wasn't a lot of psychological um, issues that came up that have made you know, possibly made them feel set back a little bit. If they are going to try to have intercourse the first time, do you think that they know or expect that it might be painful? That's an interesting question because the perineum's painful after childbirth. Yeah. So I think there's, uh, what I was seeing was more fear that they might tear their episiotomy open or that they're going to undo something. They're going to, it's not the right time. 
that sort of thing is what I saw a little bit more frequently. Yeah. Um, so there is a very big fear umbrella hanging over women once they have a baby about trying to have sex again. I think there is a bigger one than we really realize. Um, I think that it's, you know, it's not, it's like sort of inconceivable to assume that after you deliver a child that your vaginal muscles are going to be the same as particularly at six weeks, right? Yeah. Pliable, wonderful, changing <laughs> tissues that that kind of accommodate to so much. But I think the other thing is that um, you know the expression "once postpartum, always postpartum." Mm-hmm. I think women think that this is how it's going to be for Forever. the rest of yeah. life. And if we can help them with the education and the information, I think we can help decrease some of those fears as well. Yeah. So you talk about um, two different scenarios with regards to kind of the physical side of your pelvic floor once you've had a baby and kind of putting pain aside. If we think about um, sensation and size of the vagina, um, there's some women who you know, once you've had a vaginal birth may have a lot more space, which might feed into decreased sensation. But then there's a whole other set of women that even having a baby come out of there and things being stretched, they can still also end up with way too much pelvic floor muscle tension. um, And that size is decreased. So we can have two different sets of, you know, things happening after having a vaginal birth. Can you kind of touch on those two areas a little bit? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think the the biggest uh, issue in postpartum pain with sexual activity that I was finding was holding tension in the muscles. And again, we already addressed fear. So mm. that's where I think muscles that have been traumatized can change. There can be fear of leakage. And then that leads into this like overactive pelvic floor or we also call it hypertonic pelvic floor right and those are the women that just need to understand that they're not at baseline with their pelvic floor musculature and and often women don't know prenatally what their pelvic floor status is and that's a whole other podcast (laughs) that we could talk about what what we could do for that but i've been um, trying to give out the Queensland questionnaire, just like, well, where are you today? You know, ahead of time, if I can, yeah. to get that information out about that, um, because sometimes we can identify that high tone by asking specific questions. Um, so I think people all thought that the pain was because it was too loose, or there was something that happened during the delivery, yeah. where. Um, the classic example in my, in my book was the woman really was a holder and she was a holder in her pelvic floor. You know, the, the concept headache in the pelvis mm. <laughs> and the pelvis was her biggest driver. But um, it really helped to identify that. And I used just a simple EMG biofeedback for patients to really just get some imagery of circles and relaxation and opening and 
and understanding that there's so many changes that can occur in the vagina to help it like be more in homeostasis as we Mm. say and it's hard because you give some great exercises in the book so that people whichever camp they're in they can get to know their body and learn to contract and relax but if it's not your job to feel someone's pelvic floor every single day and you haven't looked and touched your pelvic floor muscles a lot and even if you have to know the difference between it being stretched and loose and being too tense you know you generally don't know no. so <laughs> you just know it's different but you don't really know why Exactly, exactly. So we've talked about um, tissue trauma, tearing, muscle guarding. Is there anything else that tends to feed into um, discomfort with having sex people need to be aware of? Well, breastfeeding changes, um, the changes in lubrication, hormones, um, I've told many of my patients that they get to a certain level, but they still describe some discomfort that there's change that occurs after breastfeeding um, resolves or stops or whatever we we want to call what we do when we stop breastfeeding. Um, The concept being that the vaginal dryness is significant. and, And I think it's sort of a myth that women think that they should all naturally lubricate, you know, their hydration level, their baby's taking so much more hydration just from breastfeeding. And if they're not doing that, they're not even getting adequate, you know, hydration. They may sweat differently. And every woman has a certain ability to generate lubrication that's different. So I think that whole area of vaginal dryness is huge to consider. Mm -hmm. And I think that that lube is not for just old people, quote unquote. I think that, you know, that's like a, that's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to start doing that. That's what old people do, or that's what, you know, is, is something that's not who I am. It was a couple of of my patients like, really? Lube? (laughs) They were surprised. And then you and, show and, them the bottle of the 20 different kinds of lube that you can now choose from. <laughs> and that's only the, top, the, you know, the middle of the range. Exactly. And then I think the other is traumatic births. Just it, I, th- I mentioned that earlier, but just the fact that it didn't go the way they wanted it. And so the, any connection to sexuality will bring up uh, almost like a PTSD mm. around the issue. Yeah, which we we've had Amy Dawes from the Australian Birth Trauma Association come on to discuss how the association is out there helping women who have been through birth trauma and you see some women I mean there's many women that have been through significant physical and psychological trauma and there's women who have been through you know objectively not a lot of physical trauma and they're embarrassed that they feel it has affected them so psychologically I'm like didn't put your physical side away I mean what you feel and has gone wrong or has happened or how it's affecting you is you know it's more important than what we find Um, and that so we've we've had you know a small portion of a podcast on that and in the future we will do more surrounding it because it you know it's it's such an important topic especially when we're talking about sex that's why today I'm like well 
we can't not talk about it but yeah we you know we are touching more on the physical side today but the psychological side is just it's so so important and not even in just the first couple times after you have intercourse after you've had a baby or thinking about it but if you know if you are a year down the road some women I see especially who have toddlers you know the first time that they attempt to have intercourse may not be for 18 months after having a baby and you know the physical part of things there can still be some structural issues they may need to address but you know that that psychological side is just so important it really is um in the United States, Penny Simpkin um, has put together a, a, a wonderful YouTube. I'll, I'll share the link oh, yeah, with please. you. Yeah, please. 10-minute description of trauma. And we also have a, a trauma uh, after birth as a, um, organization to support women as well. So that's called PATCH. And PATCH stands for uh, Prevention and Treatment of Traumatic Childbirth. So what is the, what do you feel like is the role of physiotherapists, which you've touched on a little bit throughout this, um, in guiding women or helping women when they are, you know, hoping to resume sexual activity after having a vaginal birth? Well, as physios, we're always educators, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the first thing to say about that is that we have to understand our own sexuality and be really comfortable with it before we can start talking about it with others. And so understanding what we know, what we understand, what we feel in our own bodies, how, how able we are to express those things is sort of one of the first steps because giving permission to talk about it, um, scares some people because they don't have any information to give. Yeah. Now, we're talking about the difference between a pelvic health physio or somebody that's focusing on women in postpartum yeah. and somebody in the office who's seeing a postpartum mom for sacroiliac dysfunction and might have a couple questions or comments about it. So I think the idea was to really write something that answered some of those questions right away. Yeah. And then um, your question, though, was more around what do we do? <laughs> and I, I, I kind of said, well, we have to understand it ourselves. Yeah. We have to feel comfortable with it ourselves. But we also have to realize when we're in our comfort zone and not in our comfort zone or how much that person might need more specific therapy and, um, you know, detailed sex education or detailed sex therapy for healing or working more with their partner one-on-one. -on -one. But I think involving partners is helpful, but I, women are different about that. Mm -hmm. Some of them want to do it themselves before they involve their partners, and some of them don't want to do anything without their partners. You know, like the idea of using a dilator. I also said you could use fingers or you could work with your partner with fingers to prep. So there's all these preparatory things that we can do with partners or without partners. So helping women understand that they're not alone is, again, another education piece I think is really helpful for this beginning. And as a, you know, as a pelvic floor physio and um, as I've always tried to teach is that you can't 
be involved in the pelvic floor and not talk about sexuality. So we have to have some background information. We have to understand our own things. And I I was fortunate enough to take sex education courses at at the first um, hospital that I worked at many years ago and interacted with many sex therapists to um, help me be more comfortable about what questions to ask and where to go. But there's, you know, certifications in sexuality now. But, you know, it gets to the point like, well, where am I starting to be a sex therapist? Yeah. Where am I? (laughs) So it's like, I can give you this information. I've got this. And it launches so many people. But people know when they need a partner therapy, usually, particularly if you make some suggestions. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's a roundabout way of saying, well, we can do a lot of things with the education that we provide. Yeah. But there's so more availability and information out there. You know, desire is usually a, a there's two people. Yeah. <laughs> you have to understand how. Um, they can understand what you're going through. I mean, all the, the part, I try and bring in partners into therapy as soon as I can yeah. to help them understand and to talk to them about what we're doing and how, um, how they can support their, their, the woman and what's going on with them postpartum. It's, it's been really helpful. Mm-hmm. A lot of my, um, Patients were fearful, actually, of bringing their partner in. Um, some of them don't want to tell them, like, what it felt like or how much it's hurt or, you know, some of the things. But then the other is that some women, uh, men perceive the women as stronger and, you know, how beautiful and look what mm. they for our relationship. and And so there's that side of it that I think women forget because they really, they have a hard time feeling sexy. Yeah. You know, and it's like this body doesn't feel sexy. You know, I, I don't think stretch marks are sexy, but you know, they can be (laughs) to certain people. (laughs) So that whole idea of, of, Am I still sexy? And then when the partner comes in, like that's reinforced that yeah. they're supporting them and they really want that. So. Yeah, which again comes to the psychological side again. <laughs> such an important, yeah. such an important role. Um, I I have a sexologist who will be coming on to talk about some things that women can do to help from the from their role, or because I'm very interested like you said, there's, there's a border that sometimes we can cross. That's a little bit kind of fuzzy. And at some point, you know, there are, there's always other people that we refer them on to see, but sometimes I'm like, well, where does one end and one start and what are they doing different? And what's all the extra stuff that they do? So she's going to come on and talk about what they, you know, what she actually does with women once they've had, you know, babies and trying to get back into, um, uh, sexual intimacy, but from, yeah, a sexologist point of view, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very curious because again, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Was there anything specific that you wanted to let people know about again, your book or where they can find you? Are you on social media? 
Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> um, Kathy Wallace, physical therapist and author, is my um, Instagram as well. I um, have a newsletter. So if you go to my website, kathywallace.com, you can follow me with my newsletter. Um, I work with students at the University of Washington, and we do literature reviews, and I send out some things about that. So um, the the World Wide Web has made it easy for us to all communicate. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the, the book is also available with a click on the website or through Amazon.com. Yeah. So it's available, and I hope that we get to um, more women so that they are empowered to understand their body and their pelvic floor so much better. It's, yeah. it's you know, we it's, it, someday we'll have a woman say, well, they already told me that, <laughs> instead of why didn't anyone tell me. Oh, that would be uh, great. Again, thanks for the support with the podcast um, and taking your time for, um, you know, missing part of your party. Hopefully you don't miss too much. (laughs) 